Yeah, I think the one that always surprises people, um, there's two actually that always surprise people. I think um, over 60% of drownings happen inland. Um, so when, when we say inland, we say you know, lakes, res- reservoirs, locks, canals, rivers. Um, and so I think people are really surprised about stacks. I think naturally people just think that people drown at the coast. Um, yeah. The other stat that's just worth interesting noting is just that Around 46%, 47% of people actually never intended to be in the water, so they've slipped in, they've fell in. Um, and this is an issue for us because we have we have what's called cold water shock. And, and what people's bodies naturally do in that sense is hyperventilate. Uh, they take on water quickly, they're breathing completely, it gets, it gets rapid and they, they really struggle then to catch their breath. Welcome to the Propulsion Swimming Podcast, where we aim to give swimming the coverage and publicity it deserves. Every week, we celebrate the sport we love with amazing special guests and topics from around the swimming pool. And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Dan. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. I'm your host Scott and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Dan. Now, before we get into the meat of competitive swimming calendar over the next few months of the podcast, we thought we'd bring you an interview around one of the most important weeks of the year, and that is the RLSS Drowning Prevention Week, which is running next week as this episode goes live, so the 18th to the 25th of June. Yes, hello everyone. We've got another great episode for you guys today. We're going to be raising awareness for something that needs to be talked about more as the stats can be a little a little frightening. Uh, just to give you one actually, more than 400 people accidentally drown in the UK and, and Ireland every year and many more have non-fatal experiences, sometimes suffering life-changing injuries as well. So this week's topic is definitely something that we should be raising awareness of more. Yes, some of the stats are a little scary and I'm sure we will touch upon a few more later on in this podcast. But to help us talk through this week's topic, we are joined by the charity director of the Royal Life Saving Society, Lee Hurd. Lee, thank you for taking the time to speak to us. How are you today? Very good, very good. Thank you both for having me on. It's a great pleasure to be able to talk about this subject. No problem. I'm glad we've got... um, Someone with a lot more information than us helping us guide us through this topic. (laughs) I would do my very best. So Dan started off by a stat about drowning that happens every year. And it's it's really quite worrying. And Drowning Prevention Week is one of the largest summer water safety campaigns across the UK and Ireland. So let's start off with kind of when and why did the Drowning Prevention Week campaign first come about? Yeah, sure. So it's the campaign's in its ninth ninth year now. Um, so it's really well established, um, and fundamentally, it came about. And I'm sure we'll get into this in a little bit more detail. But uh, the summer is a really concerning time for the charity. Um, on one hand, it's amazing that you know kids break up from school; they've got much more ac- greater access to outside. The weather starts to warm up. More people go on holiday. All those things. But for us, um, that that is worrying. When we have a hot day, it certainly does worry me because as we get into that summer period, we do see a really common trend that drowning spike in that period. So Drowning Prevention Week really started pre-summer, initially as an education campaign in schools to make sure that as children were going off for the summer, um, they got some knowledge and understanding about water safety and how potentially they could keep themselves safe. I mean, fundamentally, we just don't want classes going back to school at the end of the summer with with one of their pupils missing. 
Oh, that'd be such a horrible thought, to be honest with you. So, so what happens during Drowning Prevention Week? What sort of activities can people get involved in? Yeah, so over the period now, over the nine years, we have evolved the campaign a lot. So education is still a massive part of what we do. Um, and we, we, this year and the previous year, we've been specifically targeting primary school children because what we want to do is build a long-term uh, mm. understanding of water safety. And because swimming is on the curriculum in England especially, we really want to supplement those skills with some basic water safety knowledge so that all those skills have learned in the pool they can use in a good way, understand the water and understand how to use it safely. So, I mean, last year, for instance, even though uh, schools were still significantly struggling with the pandemic, um, we still had over 250,000 children that were educated in schools during the week. So um, incredible numbers. We want to do more, but that's, you know, that's where we are, um, which, is, which is really good, something to build on. The, the, the other two phases are, um, one is media, social media especially, just completely rocketed over the last couple of years. And for campaigns like ours, that has really helped us to be able to reach more people. So we had in excess of uh, 35 million potential reach last year to mm. social media, press, PR. And, you know, it's it's really is down to the wide following that we have, especially through leisure, that that was really organic. Like people just really want to get behind the campaign and share our messages. So we make a lot of materials available and, and they're available on www.rss.org.uk forward slash dpw. There's images, videos, uh, social media messaging that are fundamentally there to help that easy organic reach. Uh, and the final one, which we're really pleased that's getting back to some level of normality this year, is just incredible reach of the leisure industry. So, so swimming clubs, learn to swim programs, our life saving clubs, and just the industry especially. Um, I think in 2019, we had almost 2 million kids that through normal swimming lessons had a water safety lesson during. Drowning oh, Prevention nice. Week, which is just incredible knowledge to all that swimming um, provision that they're getting. So we're really hoping that leisure gets back to that kind of level this year when we can yeah. get those those numbers again. Yeah. When you say you're going out to schools and stuff like that, to, or you're especially targeting primary schools, is that a case of you've got these free resources on the website that teachers can download and present to their classes? Or is it you're going out with volunteers and talking to schools? Yeah, a bit of both. Uh, I suppose um, as a charity, sometimes we, we do find it quite challenging to reach every single school through our, our volunteer network. Again, le- leisure, you know, the customers we have in leisure and the, the support we have there is really crucial because we, it's, it's a great thing for lifeguards to get out and do. It gets them from poolside and go out and talk to children in schools. But we have this year worked significantly on the primary school resources with a teacher and kind of a, a teaching assistant focus so that if we can't get volunteers in schools, then you know teachers just can pick them up off the shelf, and and that's a piece of work that's been done in partnership with the RNLI, the Canal and River Trust, the fire service. So there's a there's a great collaboration that's going on to try and make sure that we pull all of that knowledge and water safety knowledge, so that we can create really consistent resources, so hopefully every child can get access to those. I feel like Dan's your uh, perfect ambassador here. He's a teaching <laughs> assistant in a primary school and a lifeguard at the same time. <laughs> A little bit of both, yeah. <laughs> well, that was partly my next question. How in-depth do you go with the information that you give to these kids? Do you go in-depth as what are the main reasons why these drownings happen, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, it kind of it goes from, it, it builds to the key stages. So early on, we're much more light touch. It's all okay. about enjoying the water. Yeah. Um, and as we get up to kind of key stage four, 15, 16 years old, we, we do get more hard-hitting. Yeah. 
Um, and the reason for that is, is because we tend to see, unfortunately, um, you know, a bit of a spike at that age um, when, and it's 80% males. So young men, lots of bravado, mm. normally getting into too much trouble. Uh, and unfortunately, they're the ones that are, you know, potentially the ones that can drown. So we, we do go really hard hitting at that age group because we know that they're the ones that are at risk potentially tomorrow. Um, but if you go back to the key stages, um, we, we have a real um, program of activities that just builds through the years. I mean, our, our ultimate goal is to get water safety on the curriculum in the class because I'm sure everybody knows um, school swimming doesn't reach everybody, especially some groups um, that from low-income families especially and I'm sure everybody's aware of some of the stats around uh, the number of black people that don't access swimming provision um, so our, our rhetoric to the government has been about if we can't get everybody in the pool although that should be the aim how can we mandate something that every single child no matter their background no matter what, how they might be disadvantaged gets access to a, a class-based lesson so our ultimate goal is that as they move through the years and the key stages their knowledge builds so that when they get to 15, 16, they have a really good grounding understanding of water safety. But how much of an impact has COVID had on the campaign as a whole in terms of people being able to access information, but also in terms of has there almost been a spike in drowning because, I don't know, there's not enough provisions out there or people weren't being safe enough? Yeah, I think there's a few things probably to explore here. The first thing is just the impact it's had on the leisure industry. So we know that our, our recent stats suggest that school swimming is down to about 50% of children accessing their statutory school swimming. Um, you know, we speak every single day about some of the issues with getting enough lifeguards on poolside and of swimming teachers. So that, that has impacted leisure's potential to reach people and, and put on swimming provision and water safety lessons. So that, that's something that I think is going to take a few years um, to build back up. I think in terms of the campaign, it's probably actually push the charity into a position to be much more digitally savvy than maybe we were ready for. Um, mm. So in one way, you know, to look at the positives from it, I think it's helped us to develop the resources we have. So we have online lessons that schools can use, um, digital online lessons, and we also have online lessons that parents can sit at home and use with their children. So these are just different ways that we can engage children in education around water safety that are much more flexible than probably we had pre-COVID. In terms of the drowning statistics, um, 2020 was a really challenging year. Um, I don't, you know, I have to be apolitical. I don't want to berate the government, but Boris, Boris did come out at one point and say, you know, everybody can get out now, go and swim in your local pond. Um, and, you know, straight away um, we had some concerns and because, yeah. you know, there was, a, there was a complete lack of lifeguard provision. Leisure wasn't open at the time, mm. so people couldn't go to their pool to swim. Uh, and um, even, you know, the R&LI and Beach Lifeguard Services weren't given any notice about lockdown stopping. So we had this unfortunately awful period where people were getting out and enjoying the water. They were trying to distance, so they were just finding, you know, beauty right. spots away from other people. So in, in 2020, we, we, ha we actually had um, a, still around the 400 mark, but bearing in mind that for about a third of the year, people were locked indoors. Yeah. That, that was... That was difficult for everybody. Um, last year, returned to normal figures. I mean, we put it into context for for five years. The accidental drowning stat was dropping quite nicely, um, but for 2020 and 2021, we have seen a slight increase. I think the important thing to factor, though, is that 
Um, the number of people drowning abroad on holiday has significantly dropped for obvious reasons. So I think the net number of people drowning is actually less, um, but we've just seen more people drown in the UK. Mm. But there's obviously been more more traffic and more people going on holiday in the UK. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just some of those stats are really scary, and I don't want to scare people listening. But are, are there any other sort of scary stats that some people should really know about? Yeah, I think the one that always surprises people. Um, there's two actually that always surprise people. I think um, over sixty percent of drownings happen inland. Um, so when when we say inland, we say you know lakes, reservoirs, locks, canals, rivers. Um, and so I think people are really surprised about stacks. I think naturally people just think that people drown at the coast. Um, yeah. And there are, you know, there are a significant number of coastal drownings. But w- what we do know is, is that people are, for, for whatever reason, probably because just the, you know, the nature of the coast and, and that it appears dangerous. People are, are relatively sensible in the sense that they will go to a lifeguarded beach and swim between the flags. Like I think mm. they know that, then when they're taking the family, they need to have supervision because of the tranquil nature and the accessibility of things like lakes and quarries and, and rivers and reservoirs. Unfortunately, we don't have, you know, miles and miles of that lifeguarding. So we, we just see a complete lack of supervision. And we we know that supervision saves lives. It pulls people out every day. So um, that that's the reason that happens. And there's, there's also um, an issue with cold water in in bodies of water, especially lakes and quarries that are significantly deep. Even in the height of the summer, they don't tend to rise too much. And that can also lend itself to um, be a factor in a lot of drownings. Um, the, the other stat that's just worth interesting noting is just that around 46%, 47% of people actually never intended to be in the water. So they've slipped in, they fell in. Um, and this is an issue for us because we have we have what's called cold water shock um, mm-hmm. and that's a physiological response to falling in the water i mean sometimes you walk in a swimming pool and it's it's yeah, kind of wet your back a bit chilly <laughs> um so imagine that shock of falling into water that's potentially 14 to 15 degrees when you know mm. water in a swimming pool is always way above 30 so mm. um you know that that's cool and, and what people's bodies naturally do in that sense is hyperventilate uh, they take on water quickly they're breathing completely it gets it gets rapid and they, they really struggle then to catch their breath and hence why people can't tend to bob up and down and take water on um so that that happens a lot in cold open water and it's happening to people that aren't meant to be in the water so it's completely alien to and they didn't go out at the start of the day thinking oh i'm gonna gonna get in the water today um, so that that's a challenge um, for, for those environments. I think there's there's obviously the two points to touch upon there. There is the actively going to look for open water swimming and the, the second, which we will get to in a minute. If we start at open water swimming, I, I that is the only way that I actually swim, but I do it every time at a, um, a staffed venue or a lifeguarded venue, which mm. is it's purely because I know the, the safety aspects around it. I know that isn't always available to everyone, but is that the advice that you give for people who are looking to go open water swimming? Make sure you know your surroundings or have someone on the side Mm. looking out for you as well um, if they can't go to a staffed venue? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. The the good thing is, is that there's been a massive increase in open water swimming and access and open water activity. And it's just incredible, you know, the, the rise of standard paddle boarding. And, you know, again, I think COVID has kind of pushed us all to try new mm. things and do it. And it's just great. I think um, open, um, this is, 
The Outdoor Swimmer magazine has reported that it's potentially gone up two to three times the amount of open water swimming. And I know they've had a report just out. Um, but what we haven't seen is a comparable rise in the number of drowning for open water swimming. Mm. So what that does say to me is that people are taking advice and they are doing it in a safe and considered way, which is incredible. I mean, interesting, Scott, did you do open water swimming pre-COVID or is it something that you got into? Um, I did it once before COVID. Okay. Uh, so essentially I did the Great North Swim after just pool swimming. And that was some five years ago. But then because COVID closed all the swimming pools, I found myself a staffed lake nearby. And then I went there. Right. Mm. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think you're probably quite common in that sense. Mm. I think people have wanted to do it, but they've definitely, you know, people seem to be wanting to do it safely. I think what we have to factor in is that people, people do love wild swimming. They love to go and explore. And, and why not? I mean, we, there's some beautiful places mm. in the UK. And, you know, we don't want to fence waterways off. That's not what any of us want. But mm. I think especially if people are, are starting open water swimming or are, are relatively new to it, doing it in a way that supervision is on hand and whether that be spotters on the side, someone in the water with you that knows what they're doing or even better if they can, you know, a recognised supervised lifeguarding venue, then, you know, that that is the best way to ensure that you can try those things safely. You know, as, as people build up their, their tolerance to cold water and as they build up their ability to swim, then, you know, by all means start to explore the water. But again, having someone there um, that can potentially raise the alarm or do something should you be in trouble is absolutely vital, especially in rural locations. Yeah, I mean, what, what's the best way for people to spread the word so that families are less affected from open water, cold water, drownings in general? I think, um, you know, our message around Drown Prevention Week is just about organic sharing. I mean, even if you share it with one person, you know, one family, one group, whatever it might be, um, if we can get that message out to lots of people, then hopefully and fundamentally we'll get a, a clear message out to people. And we, we've got our channels during Drown and Prevention Week. It's all, all of our channels across all of our platforms is just at RLSS UK. Um, we'll put loads of messaging up. And even if people share that, I mean, what we've been trying to point people to this year, especially is just the rise in Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. And actually, yep. can, can we use those? Like, there's so many local forums and stuff popping up because people want to be connected. You know, how can, can they just drop a few posts into a couple of those groups and hopefully it'll get across to people? I think um, one, of the, one of the challenges we do have, and it's in, we've done some stats this year, two-thirds of the people that have drowned over the last five years in the data we've looked at, I think we've looked at 240 fatalities, accidental drownings, two-thirds of those said that they could swim or were classed as strong swimmers. So we've got this real disconnect between um, people that have learned to swim in a swimming pool in a warm, safe, regulated environment having this perception or their families have this perception and that might just be because they've been to a school swimming program that they can swim and then when they're transferring that into cold open water environments that aren't as as well managed as swimming pools we're seeing this disconnect between this person can swim versus they absolutely can't swim in an outdoor environment so what our message really is to, to parents to families to anybody in the community if you think you can swim or you're having swimming tuition, it's so vital, but it isn't enough. Like having some water safety knowledge is vital on top of that. And so many, so many people within swimming know that and, and teach that. But I think if we can all just share that message that supplementing swimming with basic water safety knowledge, knowledge of the water, temperature, 
um, going to lifeguarded venues where there's supervision, all these mm. things are critical to keep people safe. Should mm. we go back to your point earlier of people who accidentally got in the water so weren't meant to be in the water or either fell in? So are there usually around canals or ponds, there's usually some sort or hopefully some sort of provision for you to help that person if you can? I think the advice that I was always taught was don't get in yourself. Yeah, yeah, there's a few few things here probably to explore. I mean, it's interesting, and this is probably good advice for cold water swimmers or anybody. Um, we work with Professor Greg White, I'm sure everybody's aware of, um, and we have a, what we call sponge to plunge, very clever marketing um, plea to um, get people to acclimatise to cold water at home, in the bath, in the shower. It's really useful for open water swimmers this time of the year because the water temperature is still considerably cold, but the season's starting. But actually... You know, we've seen the stuff on telly recently, Wim Hof and other other stuff yeah. like acclimatizing yourself to cold water is good for mental health, it's good mm-hmm. for physical health. But actually, if you if you do fall in the water or you're going for a swim and you, you're getting in slowly, actually, these things prepare you for that scenario. Mm. So there's stuff you can do. It's not enjoyable. Nobody enjoys it, but it's actually vit- it can be vital that if you do fall in, at least your body's got some acclimatization. But, I mean, if you if you fall into the water, the, the best thing you can do, and there's, there's lots of advice about this, is, is stay on your back and float. So it's really critical in those first few seconds when you go into cold water shock just to stay calm. A, a few vital seconds to get your breathing right for your body to acclimatize quickly is, is potentially and most likely all you need to be able to regulate your body temperature, regulate your breathing, and then make a sensible decision about you know raising your hand or trying to get to the side. So just turning over, keeping your airway clean, floating on your back, arms and legs out like a starfish. I mean, if people are wearing clothes, they'll float anyway. But, um, you know, that, that's that's vital seconds. So don't panic, just lie on your back. But if you if you do see somebody in the water, Scott, you're absolutely right. Like, unfortunately, too many times we see a casualty and a rescuer turn into two casualties um, because they've, they've gone into the water and they've hit the same problem or, you know... The, the, the person that's drowning tends to pull the rescuer down as well. So yeah. the best thing somebody can do on the side is give them that float advice. Lie on your back, keep your airway clear, stay on the side, try a land-based rescue, which is to grab something or throw them something. So you tend to see either throw lines or rescue boys on the side of, of most bodies of water within 100 metres. That can be vital just to keep them above the water while you call 999 emergency services and get professional help there to rescue. And this is so easy to do in swimming lessons as well. Like the kids, like once you get like lifeguarding equipment out, they're all over it. They love it. It's like, oh, we're going to do something completely different. So how how many times a week or a month or a year would you suggest these kids learning these sort of vital skills? Yeah, it's interesting because my answer probably would be as much as possible. Um, In our in our life saving clubs, like repetitiveness is like key. You know, get them to practice and practice and practice because it's the same as CPR training. If Hopefully you never have to use it, mm. but if you do have to use it, then if it's second nature, then you know you can deal with you know the whole trauma around that situation, yeah. including your own personal trauma. I think that there's some messages though, and it's why we're trying to lobby the government to get water safety education on the curriculum, is that there's some messages that if if once a year in school they're given across, such as that float message, mm. uh, those sometimes all somebody needs to just if they fall in the water think hang on i remember that i know what to do i turn on my back i'll float so yeah there's there's basic things that we would like every 
everybody to know. Uh, and then this, if you, you know, if we really want people to hone and practice, then as much as possible, um, you know, we'd like people to access life-saving classes, either in leisure centres or in a, in a club, um, you know, swim intuition and building on that, like school, school swimming just isn't enough. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not enough for people's mental and physical health because swimming is so good for those reasons, but it's not enough to, to make sure that swimming is taught as a, as a pure life skill, which is to save somebody's life. Yeah. And for people who want to be lifeguards, especially as a career, what, what's the route for them to then go down? Yeah, good question. I think um, we've just done some recent survey work actually with our lifeguards um, and over 70% of them just love the fact that they've got the ability to rescue someone and save someone's life. That that responsibility and having that knowledge is something that people just love about their work. Um, we, You know, people could go and get a job in a shop or, you know, stacking shelves or anywhere, but actually you know, being on poolside and being able to positively influence someone's water safety journey, someone's swimming journey, also be there to rescue them is something that lifeguards you know truly love um lifeguarding sometimes is, is a little bit challenging to keep people in for a, a long time because it's a kind of entry-level job uh for, from a pay perspective um but actually you know there's, there's incredible pathways that lifeguarding opens up we've got some cases on our website and you know people that are now you know progressing in the military especially in the emergency services uh, as paramedics, police officers, firefighters especially. Uh, and then, you know, there's a clear pathway for lifeguards through leisure as well into kind of leisure management and duty management and, and all that holes. I mean, we've we've certainly got a lot of staff working for RSS UK that started as lifeguards and now, and now you know, they've progressed their careers. So it's one of those things that, you know, I really implore people that people love it, I get them to stick with it because actually it does open up a whole world of, progression and opportunities oh yeah how long have you been doing it now dan oh i don't know over 10 years <laughs> it's been <laughs> a long time i've never ventured into like the beach sort of side of stuff obviously you knew use first aid all the time everyone has bumps and bruises in the pool um had to deal with a broken arm once before as well but i think the beach is a completely different sort of um qualification so what what kind of different stuff would they be learning on that sort of side it's more environmental stuff um, so obviously, you know, rescuing someone out of a beach and using craft um, is something that need, needs more work. Um, but there, there are conversion courses, especially into open water lifeguarding. So, you know, lifeguarding sessions at open water swimming lakes. Uh, we've seen a huge rise in aqua parks across the UK now that we've been um, really lucky to be able to support the professionalism of them and making sure that they're safe because obviously... You know, 100 kids running around on a big inflatable in the lake comes with challenges for lifeguards. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've seen, you know, we've made that transition really easy for poor lifeguards and we've seen the move there. Beach lifeguards is quite interesting because you tend, because of the seasonal nature of it, you tend to get people that move around the world with the seasons. Um, mm. So we have, before COVID, we had a lot of Australians that would come for the season and beach lifeguard and vice versa. UK lifeguards go over to Australia in their, in their summer. So um yeah, we're really lucky in that sense. We're able to connect with the qualifications around the world. Mm. That's a nice advert for lifeguarding. Go over to Australia. It for is, the, yeah. For the yeah. summer. <laughs> Sounds all right, doesn't winter. it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lee, before we finish, I'm going to do some really quick fire questions just to go through the points one more time to drum it home for everyone who is listening. So mm. when is Drowning Prevention Week? It's the 18th to the 25th of June. Um, and how can people get involved? So if they go to rss.org.uk forward slash dpw, 
all of our educational resources on there. There's resources for leisure to be able to support them to deliver water safety lessons, join their swimming lessons in the week, and there is videos, graphics, everything to share. But if you just want an easy route, if you follow the RSS UK um, channels, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram especially, then just sharing some of our messages would be a massive help. Yeah, I was going to say the next question is how can yep. people help raise awareness, but just share it everywhere that they can. Yep. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think we just want people to connect with their own community, no matter how small that is. Yeah. And finally, what should everyone be doing when it comes to swimming this summer? I think just having fun. I think we've really got to get people back engaged and involved in swimming, um, both from a competitive nature and also at the very basic level. But, um, you know, I think it just goes back to the core values of why I'm sure everyone is involved in swimming. We still want people to enjoy the water and love swimming. So getting back in the pool, having lessons, doing those lengths and having fun is something that we're surely advocating for. Amazing. Lee, thank you so much for coming on to this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. I've learned a lot. I um I'm very glad my best mate who constantly swims with me is a qualified lifeguard. <laughs> it's always nice to know I'm kept safe and hopefully everyone else keeps safe this summer as well. Yes, hopefully the messages have come through and basically just stay safe this summer. The weather's looking pretty good right now, so hopefully it stays that way. Enjoy your swimming, but be safe at the same time. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. No problem. So that just about rounds up this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. Any links that Lee has discussed in this episode will be found in the show notes for everyone to access. If you haven't subscribed already, please do so on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And me and Dan will be back next week previewing the World Championships. Yes, thank you very much, everyone. And we'll catch you on the next one. You've been listening to the Propulsion Swimming Podcast with Scott and Dan. We want to thank you for joining us and invite you to subscribe to the show as well as checking out the Propulsion Swimming YouTube channel for weekly tutorials and videos to get your swimming fix. We will be back next week. Until then, we'll catch you on the next one.